welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. According to Wikipedia, Bible prophecy comprises of portions of the scriptures that reflect communications from God to the humans through the prophets. You know, both Jews and Christians, well, they would have believed that those prophets had received revelation directly from God. Now, maybe the most prominent amongst all biblical prophets is the prophet Daniel. His writings, well, they were significant and they had a lot of influence in his day, but his prophecies remain prominent today. Well, maybe his prophecies are even more significant today. The prophet Daniel introduces us to a new type of revelation. It's referred to as apocalyptic prophecy. You see, rather than focusing on an isolated incident, apocalyptic prophecy, it covers a whole sweep of time, right from the ancient times straight through to the end of time. Now, one of the ways of verifying that Daniel truly was a prophet, well, Jesus referred to him as a prophet. If you go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and in verse, 20, uh, verse 15, Matthew 24 and verse 15, you read the following. Therefore, when you see the abomination of the desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Well, to better understand the prophecies of Daniel, let's spend a little bit of time on background, just you know, to get a sense of the political climate there in his day. When you go to the book of Daniel, the opening words in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, the first two verses, well, they're quite significant. Let's see what it says here. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Now, did you notice something interesting there? It says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. This refers to the first of three invasions by the Chaldeans. The very first invasion occurred in the year 605 B.C. Daniel and his companions, they're the only ones actually mentioned by name, they would have been amongst the first exiles that were taken to Babylon. The second invasion, well, that occurred in 598 B.C., and a much larger group was then deported. Among that second group was a young priest. His name, Ezekiel. He later wrote the book that bears his name. In the final invasion, which was in 586 B.C., well, that's when the last group of exiles, together with all of the treasures from the temple, were taken to Babylon. The invading Chaldean army destroyed Solomon's magnificent temple 
and also destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Well, these were very sad times for the Jewish people. Their magnificent house of worship has been leveled to the ground. The strongest, the brightest of the people have now been carried away to Babylon. The city, Jerusalem, is left in ruins. And Daniel, at this point, is about 18 years old when he is taken from his home and he's forced to march some 1,300 kilometers to Babylon. As far as we know, none of the first exiles ever saw their homeland again. Now, Daniel and his companions probably were students in the Jerusalem School of the Prophets. And they may have studied the scriptures under the guidance of leaders like Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Nahum. The Babylonians took notice of Daniel right from the get-go. Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youth in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. He ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So when Daniel and his companions were, were taken hostage, they're made eunuchs, and they're placed in the service of the king of Babylon. Well, it was no surprise, but rather a fulfillment of a prophecy that Isaiah had uttered some 100 years earlier. Habakkuk, a decade earlier or more, had expressed his deep concern that the Lord seemed to be doing nothing to thwart the rising power of the Chaldeans. He reminded the Lord that violence occurred everywhere. But the Lord says to him in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 and verse 6, the following, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder. Because I am doing something in your days, you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people, who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. You see, Habakkuk the prophet could not understand this. He, he's wondering, why is God permitting all of this to happen? But then in chapter 1, in verse 12, he realizes something. And we read there, O Lord, you have appointed them to judge, and you, O rock, have established them to correct. You see, Habakkuk was shown that what was to happen was part of the purpose of an all-wise God. Now, surely he must have passed this message on to the young people, the students that were there in his class. So when Nebuchadnezzar arrives at the gates of Jerusalem, 
I believe that young Daniel, well, he understood exactly why. But here Daniel now finds himself in a new land, a land that has no room for God, a land that has no time for God. For the first time in his life, Daniel now is going to a school that did not begin each day with prayer. No longer were the Ten Commandments posted there in the classroom. The Bible, in fact, was ridiculed as being full of myths and fables and rejected as being actually dangerous to young people. From the time Daniel and his buddies set foot in their new home, they, there was a process in place to turn them into full-blooded Babylonians. Well, right off the bat, first of all, they changed their names. Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. When the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, these young men, I mean, most likely had come from godly parents. And they had been given names that would remind them of God. You know, the name Daniel means God is my judge. The name Hananiah means beloved of the Lord. Mishael means God is without equal. And the name Azariah means God is my helper. But now, well, their names are being changed so that now they would be reminded of a pagan god. Daniel's name, Belteshazzar, means the god Baal favors. Hananiah's name became Shadrach, meaning illuminated by the sun god. Mishael's, his name, he was changed to Meshach, meaning who is like unto Venus. And Azariah's name was changed to Abednego, meaning the servant of Nebo. Now, these young men were well-read, well-fed, well-bred. I mean, we would say they were the cream of the crop. But not only now had they been given pagan names, now they were going to be given a totally pagan education. For what purpose? Why was this done? Well, I mean, I believe it was simply a form of brainwashing. I mean, the Chaldeans were doing everything they could to remove from the memory of these young men any thought of God. Education there in Babylon no longer had the purpose of information. Education now was being used for indoctrination. Now, Daniel doesn't seem that he mind going to the schools because he knew what he really believed. He didn't mind being called by their name because he knew who he really was. But Daniel drew the line when it came to eating the king's meat 
and drinking the king's wine. Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 8. It says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. I, I just love that phrase, don't you? It says, Daniel made up his mind. You see, the issue, what's not, it wasn't really the meat and the wine. I mean, yeah, that was more problems. But to me, here's the issue. It was Daniel's decision. You see, the people that you and I are today, it's because of the decisions we made yesterday. And, and the person that you will become and that I will become tomorrow, well, that's going to be determined by the decisions we make today. If Daniel, at that very early point in his life, had made the wrong decision, you know what I believe? I believe we never would have heard about Daniel. I don't believe he would have been in the Bible. You see, there's a very thin line between greatness and grief, glory and guilt, and that's our decisions. You could change Daniel's home, but you could not change Daniel's heart. You could change Daniel's name, but you could not change Daniel's nature. I mean, you could put Daniel into Babylon, but you could not get Babylon into Daniel. Do you know why Daniel kept his purity? It, I think, was because of one magic word. No. Do you know why he could say no? Well, because he had first said yes. He could say no to the world because he had first said yes to God. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, the last part of verse 8. Here's what it says. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, that seems quite simple, but really it, it wasn't. It says, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel in verse 10, look at what it says. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youth who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. You see, he's saying, listen, if, if, if this was discovered, the eunuch would die. But not only would the eunuch die, so would Daniel. To refuse to eat at the king's table, well, that was a huge insult to the king. Furthermore, to refuse a direct order from the king, well, that's an act of disobedience. Either rebellion or refusal carried with it the penalty of instant death. In other words, you know, Daniel was putting his life on the line. This apparently was the best food in the world. This was the king's delicacies. This was the finest wine in existence. I'm sure that the light of the palace looked a lot better than the darkness of a prison. I guarantee you eating at the king's table sure looks better than hanging from the king's gallows. But Daniel had the courage of his convictions. I mean, wouldn't it be great to see more of that courage today? I mean, many people today, they're more concerned with being popular than with being right. Hardly anyone today says what he or she really thinks anymore. 
I mean, if something's popular today, wow, we're with them. If it's unpopular tomorrow, we change directions. We think of concessions as the better part of valor. And we allow ourselves to make important decisions by first testing the waters. I mean, listen, I'm not here to pick on politicians, but our politicians, they're some of the worst offenders. Polls become their anchor even though it's a drifting one. You know, they point their fingers in the, the wind, they take the pulse of the latest poll, and they bravely charge forward thinking that they have sensed what the majority actually believes. I mean, where are those leaders who are willing to lead with, without regard to what's popular at the moment? Where are those today who are willing to be courageous, even if it means they will lose the next election? I mean, where are those with the determination to stand for something and just be consistent, unwavering in doing so? You know, we live in some troubling times. And we need policies that are driven by unchanging principle. And we need leaders who are willing to maintain a steady course simply because it's right. Now, it's important to notice that Daniel not only stood with grit, he stood with grace. Look at verses 11 through 13, Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. I just want to say right here that we ought to have the courage of our convictions, and we ought to stand up for what's right. But you don't have to be a crank to have convictions. You can be right and have convictions without being rude. You can be courageous without being crass. Now let me say something. There is never an excuse for a Christian to be unkind, unliving, unloving, or ungracious. We ought to be like the story of the sales manager I heard. There's a sales manager who was famous for his tact. He was famous for his diplomacy. So there's this young salesman in his company who was just terrible at his job. And he needed to be fired. But he was such a young man and such a nice man. That, well, nobody really wanted to fire him. So it was given to the sales manager to break the news to this young man. Well, the sales manager calls him in, asks him to sit down, and he says, Son, I don't know how in the world this company would ever get along without you. Well, the young man replies, Well, well thank you very much, sir. The sales manager then says, But starting Monday morning, we're going to have to give it our best shot. You see, we can be firm when it comes to our convictions, but let's have our firmness, you know, be laced with grace and kindness. Uh, verses 14 and 15, Daniel 1. So he listened to them in this matter, 
and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youth who had been eating the king's choice food. You could see it, it says, right there in their flesh, their firmness, their, their fitness. I mean, their cholesterol was lower, their body fat was less, they looked healthier. You could see it in their faces. They were not only better looking, they just looked better. They had this glow to them. They had a radiance. And it was not because of their food, but because of their faith and because of their fellowship with God. Verses 17 and 20 says, As for these four youth, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. For three years of studying the same books, going to the same classes, listening to the same lectures as, as everyone else, their answers were clearer, they were sharper, they were better. They were at the head of the class. Do you know why? Because where others had knowledge, these young men had wisdom. The difference between the astrologers and Daniel was this. The astrologers may have had degrees, but Daniel had discernment. The astrologers had intelligence, but Daniel had insight. The astrologers had learning, but Daniel, well, he had the Lord. In the early 1970s, many of you remember that the Iraqi government arrested a group of American students on trumped-up espionage charges. The wicked regime of Saddam Hussein wanted confessions. And so to get these confessions, they tortured their students. These prisoners were told if they confessed, well, they could go free. Simply put, they were told, compromise the truth and admit to a falsehood. Well, the promise of freedom became irresistible. One by one, as the pressures and the pain mounted, the prisoners confessed to crimes well, that they had not committed. Every prisoner did that, except one. The torture was great. The loneliness of isolation was almost unbearable. He came to the verge of breaking. In the Wall Street Journal, Mark Halpern recounts the story of this friend of his. He wrote, Then they announced that they were finished with his case, that he could simply confess or die. A confession lay before him as they raised a pistol to his head, cocked the hammer, and started a countdown. He had heard executions from his cell. He was told, sign your name and you will live. But he refused. He closed his eyes, grimaced, and prepared to die. They pulled the trigger. When he heard the click, he thought he was dead. 
the gun, however, had not even been loaded. Mark Halpern's friend was eventually released. He discovered afterward that every other prisoner who had confessed was later hanged in the public square. He was the only one that survived. Listen carefully now. Compromise represents a far greater risk than courage. When you stand alone, you never stand alone because God will stand with you. Let us pray. Our gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Daniel and other people that have been unwavering in their convictions for you. May their example be a motivation to each and every one of us. Give us the strength and the courage to stand for what is right and bless each and every viewer today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On every program, we'd like to offer you some resources just to uh, help you in your study and in your spiritual journey. And uh, today we have another resource. It's a little booklet. It's called Your Future is Safe with God. You know, we see so much perplexity, so many things going on in this world. And what does it all mean? Well, this book helps you understand that all of these things that are so troubling in this world are all pointing to a very important event that will be the climax of Earth's history. What is that? Order this book, Your Future is Safe with God, and you'll find the answer. If you'd like to get this book, here's the information you need. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request, and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, we've come to the end of another program. Let me thank you again for, for joining us. We appreciate your willingness to be with us each and every time we're on the air. Before we go, a couple of things we want to do. I have a collection here of five Signs of the Times magazines. Excellent magazines. One talks about the end of the world, our amazing universe, when life is unfair, the benefits of belief, and the great controversy. I'd love to send you these five magazines. They're a great tool to share with friends and family. If you can send a minimum donation of $10, you can do it online at our website, l4ltv.com. Under the Donate Now tab, we'd send you out these five magazines as a little thank you for your donation. Hey, remember to visit our website. Follow me on Instagram, Santos underscore Bill. Remember our YouTube channel and our Facebook page, facebook.com 
slash L4L television. We're all out of time. I hope you're back again next time with us. God bless you. We'll see you then.